Volume 6, Issue 265, Diablo 3, and the Reaper of Souls expansion pack. Play along with Kane and Rince Volume 6 and Ninja Gaiden, I'm going to say that. Mad Max, Flashback, and Perfect Dark. Head to KaneandRince.com for articles, features, reviews, and links to our forum, Facebook page, and YouTube channel. Vote for Kane and Rince if you want. There's some award things going on. You can go to um, www.britishpodcastawards.com forward slash vote and then type in Kane and Rince and then just press your buttons and vote for us. That'd be nice. You know, you want to. You really do. Um, if you enjoy what we do, there are a number of ways in which you can support us. Um, unfortunately, our real money auction house closed down in a patch 1.6784, but we have a Patreon. There's no content hidden behind paywalls or anything like that. If you don't wish or aren't able to contribute, everything that we produce will still be free and available to all, apart from those on the moon. However, if you feel that the hours of podcasts that we produce for your listening pleasure are worth something financial in return, you can now donate one dollar which is about seven quid or more if you wish per month, which helps us keep going on. Uh, that's patreon.com forward slash Kane and Rince. If you prefer to get something a bit more, you know, materialistic for your money, you can go to a, a shop. Uh, it's not a real shop. It's like an internet shop. And uh, that website is uh, shop.spreadshirt.co.uk forward slash Kane and Rince. And, you know, they do the stuff like the t-shirts, the bags and um, other, other stuff. Sure. They're good quality. Uh, please check out our video games music podcast sound of play it's good they play, play the music and stuff and uh, please review rate and subscribe to both our podcasts on iTunes Stitcher Radio and uh, tune in joining me Darren Gogget, Barbarian 70 Paragon level 235 is Carl Moon hey guys what class and level are you uh, <laughs> uh, my main's a crusader uh, hardcore difficulty level 70 and we also have Sean O'Brien demon hunter level 70 and I uh, just started a Barbarian like a couple days ago on mm-hmm. Hardcore and got up to level like 40. Yeah, I've got a few um, alts here and there, but I can't really. I think I have got a wizard called Wismund and <laughs> a, a female crusader called Crew Lady, Crew Lader, something like that. But yeah, this is the Di- Diablo, Diablo, Diablo 3 podcast. But we're going to briefly talk about Diablo 1 and 2. You know, very briefly, we're just going to go through it. Uh, Diablo 1. This is from the creator of uh, Dave, uh, called David Brevik. And where the name Diablo came from. I thought of the game when I was in high school and lived in the east part of San Francisco in a town called Danville. And I lived at the base of Mount Diablo and that's where the name comes from. Simple enough indeed. Uh, Condor Games was the original name for a Blizzard North. And they approached uh, Blizzard South with a concept for a claymation turn-based RPG called Diablo. Blizzard turned the game to a real-time action um, one and was so impressed with development that the parent company Davidson acquired Condor Games and turned them into Blizzard North. They're now defunct as of 2005. 
it brought Battle.net multiplayer to the PC and kind of set a new standard and served over 2.5 million people. Diablo 1 was inspired by games um, such as Moria, which is based on Lord of the Rings, um, Angband, another piece of uh, Tolkien's work. They're kind of like ASCII-based dungeon, you know, mud, multi-user dungeons, games and stuff like that. It was also inspired by XCOM and Dungeons & Dragons, and of course Doom, because all games are inspired by Doom. (laughs) I'm surprised Tetris isn't on there as well. Right. Uh, the plot of the original Diablo game centers around a player character undertaking a series of quests to free Tristram, Trist- Tristram, I've never really said it out loud before, <laughs> from hell spawned evil descending through 12 levels of dungeons into hell itself. The final four levels where the player battles the titular, titular uh, character Diablo, Lord of Terror, one of the seven evils, devils who ruled hell. Has anyone played it? I played it very briefly on the PlayStation because of the PlayStation release. Um mm-hmm. And it never felt like a game that I could play comfortably on the PlayStation. I guess I was too busy sidetracked playing football games because I'm a hoodlum of a Brit who only plays sports <laughs> titles. Or did in my youth with friends, but I knew some people um, in in college, as it was at the time, um, who were starting to get quite into sort of Diablo, and it 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 soon became apparent um, that the PC version of Diablo was far superior to the the PlayStation version uh, of the same game for the, its accessibility and its feature set, etc. So it's not something I ever played properly. I dabbled with it briefly, but nothing more than that, really. Yeah, I don't remember how soon this was released after uh, stuff like Warcraft or Starcraft, or even if that's the order things came out in. But I remember at the time playing kind of all of those uh, at different points. Um, so I don't, I don't really remember much or literally anything of Diablo 1. I know I played... Uh, I know I played it for a few months, um, but that's about it. Yeah, I never mm. got around to playing it on either format, PC or PlayStation 1. I've, I don't know. I was kind of a bit of an ignorant back then. You know, I never really played Zelda until Ocarina of Time. So it was kind of like, oh, it's got sword in it. Nah, you're mm-hmm. right. And I kind of <laughs> threw it in that kind of geeky pool that mm-hmm. I now, you know, thrive in. But yeah, it was the front cover didn't really appeal to me. And uh, I don't mm-hmm. know, you know, the, when you've got so much, well, when, you, when you've got so few monies, currencies in your actual pocket, then, you know, you have to pick wisely. Even though I was mm. working in an independent game shop and I had free reign of everything, there was just better things to play in my head. Uh, so, but, you know, I've watched a few videos of it and it looks it looks better than I thought it would, considering how old it is. You know, if there's one thing you can say, say about Blizzard is that they, can, they make playable games. Diablo 2, next. It's like a sequel and that. Uh, it sold over a million units within a week of its release and provided five classes to play as across four acts. Lords of Destruction was the game's only expansion set and proved to only further the user's enjoyment of the game. The latest patch was uh, last year, 1.14 in March. It was an OS patch, wasn't it, to get it working on OS X, if That's I remember right, correctly. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Huh. But the fact that, that you know, they even care they in the bother. slightest. Yeah. Diablo awesome. 2 takes place after the end of the previous game. Surprise! In the world of Sanctuary. In Diablo, an unnamed warrior defeated Diablo and attempted to contain the Lords of Terror essence with his own body. Um, if you've played Diablo 3, which we'll talk about later on, they remade the first game in 3 and that happened. Uh, since then, the hero has become corrupted by the demon spirit, causing demons to enter the world around him and wreak havoc. A band of adventurers who pass through the rogue encampment hear these stories of destruction and attempt to find out the cause of evil, starting with this corrupted dark wanderer. As the story develops, the truth behind this corruption is revealed. The soul stones were originally designed to capture the prime evils who were banished to, mortal, to the mortal realm after being overthrown by the lesser evils. I don't know what's going on. With the corruption <laughs> of the Dabo soul stone, the demon is able to control the dark wanderer. 
the soul stone of another demon, Baal, was united with the mage Tyrasha, who volunteered to absorb Baal spirits in his own body and be imprisoned in the tomb. Mm. I don't know. Uh, has anyone played it? Yeah, it's the same story for me again. Like I remember, I remember this game got me through uh, at least my freshman year of college. Like I kind of didn't care about what I was going to school for at the time. So I just mostly played mm. um, Diablo 2. Uh, and it's actually the last game I remember even playing on PC with mouse and keyboard. Like I, I haven't really touched anything like that since. So it's been a minute, but I, I do have uh, fond memories of playing Diablo 2, even if I don't remember the specifics right now. I never actually played Diablo 2. This was a game that came out in 2000. And in 1998, we had Half-Life and so mm-hmm. from that moment and then with the likes of Quake 3 and Unreal Tournament, I'd gone into a very heavy first-person shooter sort of environment. And then sure, uh, yeah. with the likes of Counter-Strike, and it was steering me in a completely different direction. But I did know some people online. I remember a, a girl that was part of a Counter-Strike circle that we were playing in in Luxembourg uh, was a humongous Diablo 2 fan. She, would, she was the kind that was putting in you know, 16, 17-hour days, day mm. after day, just playing it non-stop. And... Whenever she would talk about it or the other people I knew because the college that were playing the game would discuss the things that were happening, it became incredibly intimidating to me because I was hmm. never, I've never really been a huge RPG fan until probably the mid-2000s. And if I had played it, it was a traditional RPG or a JRPG and not so much in an action RPG, which is the, yeah, the genre this falls into. So it, the likes of Baldur's Gate and Diablo, etc., was stuff that I'd never really touched. And, and they always looked interesting, but just incredibly daunting. And I, by the time I'd sort of got over the games that I was playing or I was adding more to my repertoire, and it seems comical now that it was patched last year, I felt like the, the, the moment to play Diablo 2 had passed. And visually, it was something that never really appealed to me. It was more how people would talk about it and their experiences with the random areas and the drops, etc. sounded really cool. And it sounded like something I would like, but not something that I would play on my own. And that was primarily how I was playing a lot of these games, unless it was an arena-based shooter. So it's it's not something I ever played, but it's something that I always kept sort of an, an intrigued eye on. And I remember thinking to myself that if a Diablo 3 ever comes out, I, I might give that one a chance. <laughs> yeah, so it was, you know, I didn't think it would take 11 years. And I, I knew it was in development, though. That was the thing, is there was no secret that Diablo 3 was in development. And I was sort of waiting for it, and then it got canned and... You know, I guess all focus went on World of Warcraft. I've flirted with Diablo 2. Um, my mate, Will Kip, my only friend, he um, he was into Fallout, Baldur's Gate, and all the PC games you could ever want. He used to have them all across his, uh, like a shelf that went around the perimeter of his bedroom, and he just had four, and I was like, what's that one? Let's play that one. And it happened to be Diablo 2. We checked out for a brief period and was like, this seems all right, let's play Counter-Strike. <laughs> and then that was pretty much our, our yeah. you know, our 2000s right there um which is a bit dismissive but when i was heavily invested into world of warcraft i did go back and go i'll give it another shot and i did play a few acts and kind of lost interest because it wasn't world of warcraft kind of like some companies that i really enjoy i like to just check out all their works and even if i don't enjoy them to the end i've still you know checked them out and so mm-hmm. yeah diablo 2 yeah I, I kind of want to play it again and hopefully these this starcraft remaster paves way for and remastering yeah. other old titles because I never really I never even saw Lords of Destruction despite it you know having more content and more stuff like I feel like we're kind of well I feel like I'm dismissing this game despite its massive importance on the industry like this yeah. game 
whenever they release new games that are similar to this, like Torchlight and, um, you know, there was one called Mythos that I tried to get into, all inspired by Diablo 2, and you're like, why are they saying that and not 3? And it's, it's because this had such an impression on the industry. I mean, Torchlight was the big one as well, wasn't it? Because that was the former yeah. developers of... Diablo 1 That's and 2 right, and everyone yeah. thought that that was the one that was going to sort of draw people and it was popular etc but it was the fact that Diablo 2 had set such a, a high yardstick for, for action RPGs that for over a decade nothing could match what <laughs> this game had done is quite alarming and, and that people would sort of go but they'd happily come back and it's still a game that you get an incredible amount of people I mean Diablo 1 for example still has multiplayer servers which is kind of nuts That's insane. Yeah. for a 20 year old game and then Diablo 2 was even more popular. So to see so many games try and fall short, even when they're developed by the main <laughs> the designers people. of Diablo 1 and 2 is quite uh, quite alarming. Yeah, lightning in a bottle is the phrase yeah. I'd probably use there. But yeah, there's, there, there are games out there, you know, like Marvel Heroes is a you know Marvel take on this kind of game. There are so many games that have kind of been influenced by Diablo 2. But I think a game by um, Grinding Gears... Uh, made a game called Path of Exile and they specifically mention you know we we are going for D2 and this is you know and people who play D3 and go Wah! they go but Path of Exile is good and I played through that and I I couldn't tell you why it's like Diablo 2 because you know I don't know the the minutiae of the game but it felt more grounded like a bit more raw if that makes any sense it kind of felt a bit mm. more dirty a bit more gritty and that's part of the complaints that we'll get to talk about in a minute it's kind of interesting that we've had um, the Marvel Heroes, which was the game by David Brevik, mm. when the original concept for the first Diablo was going to be a Justice League game that, that was drawn up. And it, just a story I'd read that is one of those strange coincidences that he'd gone to a trade show and he'd seen a Justice League game that had been developed on the Super Nintendo or the SNES, as Sean would probably call it, or as we <laughs> probably call it, the SNES. Um and it turned out that the game that was being developed on the SNES was by a company called Silicon and Synapse, which eventually mm. became Blizzard. That's right, yeah. And then, you know, the, the one that they were making for Condor essentially got merged in as you know, Blizzard North and, and as fate would have it, they both come together, create Diablo, and then go off on their own and then make Marvel Heroes, which That's I weird. believe David yeah. Brevik described as how Diablo 3 would have been if he'd stayed. Hmm, interesting. So there's been a, a few, a couple Diablo Diablo products that um, have been cancelled. There was apparently a game um, in 2003 by Blizzard North that is uh, quoted as Diablo-like game set in space. So I can't remember, maybe like a StarCraft uh, version of this. Yeah, Who knows? that's pretty much StarCraft. So, yeah. Right? Sounds like, yeah. yeah. A bit, little too mm. close, I would assume, for Blizzard. And there was a game they dub as Diablo Junior. Oh, sorry, I keep saying Diablo. I know it's Diablo, but it's just the way oh. I talk. It's bad. And, you know, they poise it as a prequel to the first game. And, um, yeah, it would be on your Game Boy Advance. But they it never got past the uh, the paperwork stages because apparently it would cost too much money. Yeah. It's just always the way, really, in the uh, <laughs> in this industry. <laughs> so, Brevik, on his opinion about D3, he, um, he has very mixed emotions about it. You can read about this online if you want to. You know, he's, he's happy that people still love the series. 
Um, but uh, there are so many design decisions that, that Diablo 3 had, you know, the vanilla game that he wasn't completely happy with. And he just says that's just the way it goes sometimes, you know, people change. And, um, you know, when people leave companies, you'll, you'll see a massive influence or lack of influence in those products. We're seeing it right now with Mass Effect, like totally different team and people are mixed, I would say. Yeah. I've always thought it must be really strange when you are someone at the core of such a heralded franchise mm-hmm. as a designer and your design influence has been there for all those years on all the documents. You've watched the teams come and go and to create this common goal, then you've had a falling out with the studio left only mm-hmm. to watch another game come in your franchise and you seeing people that are making decisions in a franchise that is rightly owned by the studio, but to some degree, it feels like they've stolen it from you to make those decisions. And I guess it would be very hard to sit there and be full of praise. Uh, you might say it in interviews because no one ever wants to look like a brat, I guess. But it must have that personal impact where you you must be a little bit seething. And, and the, the little slightest decisions that you don't agree with must be stuff that really sort of sticks in your throat. Um, for something like Diablo into Diablo 3 must have been really hard for him to swallow. So yeah, Diablo 3 and a Reaper of Souls, uh, developed by Blizzard Entertainment or South or whatever. Publisher, Activision Blizzard Entertainment. Um, but you don't really hear the term Activision Blizzard banded around as much as you think. You know, it's all over the box if you look closely, but no one really says it. I think there's like a conscious decision not to mention the A word before the B word because that's naughty. We're like, well, no, they are, you know, they are buddies. They are money buddies. You know what I mean? That's the way it goes. Yeah, it's the guys who make Call of Duty. Oh no, <laughs> very different in their, very different, however, in their standards. Yeah, is, is probably the most notable thing. And and of course, Blizzard have always been the. If it's Blizzard, it's PC. If it's Activision, it's console. And that's not strictly the case, but mm-hmm. it's sort of that sort of underlying thing that the that Blizzard definitely have that association with being PC, and of course with Diablo three and and Overwatch. obviously the early doubly uh, uh, the early Diablo. Um, on PlayStation, but now with Diablo 3 and Overwatch especially, because that's been huge on consoles for them. Mm-hmm. Um, Blizzard are definitely making their way over. And, and yeah, of course, you look at something like Call of Duty, which started on PC and is now firmly the console franchise um, that comes to mind when you're talking about console games. So it's, it's kind of nuts, but there is definitely a breakdown of uh, Activision or Blizzard or Blizzard Activision. I can never remember which way around it is, in fact because it's that separated. Um, and I'm pretty sure Blizzard are probably happier with that fact than Activision are. The, the uh, director of Diablo 3 was Jay Wilson. He departed the industry in 2013. He probably had enough of Piano. people moaning at him. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It's now a Joe Mo- um, Mosquera. Uh, Mosquera. I don't know Mosquera. how to pronounce the name. I apologize. I guess. Uh, the art director, it's quite important that I mention this, is uh, Brian... Morris Rowe, he departed in 2008, so he probably set the stone, you know, the standard of what Diablo 3 was going to be. He, he left, again, probably for maybe similar reasons. And then it turned into, uh, he, the art director turned into Christian Lichner. That's a surname that looks like it's a bad guy from one of these games, so good work. <laughs> <laughs> well done, mate. And uh, almost like Gargette, you know. Uh, anyway, that's the side thing. Uh, and the formats and release dates, respectively, PC, uh, Xbox 360, PS3, Xbox One, and PS4, and uh, that was May 15th, 2012 for PC. The, the 360 and PS3 was September 3rd, 2013, and then the consoles after that were August the 19th, 2014, as Diablo 3 Ultimate Evil Edition. 
Um, in, in the corner of the box, it says, includes Diablo 3, just in case you were confused. Like, includes the original game. It's like, well, yeah, I'd, I'd hope so. It says on the 10, yeah. Yeah. Um, and Reaper of Souls came out on PC on March 25th, uh, 2014, and consoles August the 19th, 2014, as I just said a minute ago. Uh, the Metacritic score hovers around um, about 80, 88% on PC and uh, 90% on consoles. Uh, th- these kind of games on consoles, right? Working. This is a little side note that's not on the show notes. Um, but anyway, working in games in this, in an independent game shop in town. Mm-hmm. These kind of games, whenever they were on the console, like in the PS2 era, they were hoovered up like almost immediately. Like people would die in for games like this. There was um, Baldur's Gate Dark Alliance. Whenever that game came in secondhand, it flew out. Uh, yeah. Whatever price you put on it, people would buy it straight away because. There's something moreish about this kind of action RPG that's so well. It probably explains why Diablo Two is so popular. Mm. People want this immediate flow of action, loot, reward. It reflects the score here in that the console is two percent higher. I know it's two percent, but it's higher than the PC market because consoles never really had these kind of games before, you know. And mm. they kind of took what they could get, and they were like, "Yeah, I'm happy with this," even though it probably wasn't a great game, like um. I'm going to say it, X-Men Legends or maybe like um, Marvel. Oh, there's a Marvel game on the 360. Um, Marvel Ultimate Alliance. Mm-hmm. I never really saw why everyone enjoyed that game, mm-hmm. but it was kind of the only thing you had at the time. So then for yeah. this game to come in, this juggernaut, this Diablo 3 on the consoles yeah. is big. And you mm-hmm. know that, that, that reflects the sales, which uh, as of June the 30th, 2015, they've sold over 30 million copies. And... <sighs> <laughs> it's frightening, isn't it? And I, I think a big chunk of it for console purchases was not only were they after a game in the action RPG ilk. I mean, we've you mentioned Baldur's Gate um, and is it Dark Dark Alliance? That's the Baldur's Gate Dark Alliance. Yeah, and uh, I know that Gary Blower, who's been on the show a couple of times, is a, that's a game he raves about playing local co-op. So mm. there, there is that sort of. Um, sort of pick up and play an instant action element to these games that are super popular and people as you mentioned would hoover them up but I think with something with Diablo 3 was that was a name that everyone knew but it was a very PC title and it was a case mm. of well let's see what they're all talking about let's see what mm. all the fuss is about mm-hmm. and I remember there was a genuine excitement that Diablo 3 is actually coming to consoles and mm. um, because I never jumped in on the PC because despite the fact I said I would the nature of there being so many games these days and always playing back catch up. But as soon as it was announced as a PC game, as a console game coming from PC, I thought, well, that might be the approach entry point for me to start playing this game. So there was a, a real excitement that it was coming to consoles, more so than I would say other games that have come from PC over to consoles. The console versions as of today are pretty much up to standard with the PC version in my mind. Like season 10 has hit console, so seasons are finally on console now. They have a dodge uh, dodge move with the right analog stick, which I never really found useful, but it's quite never interesting they put it, yeah. something. <laughs> yeah, they, it's quite interesting they put something in there for people to, I don't know, uh, if, if you have used the right stick dodge move, please let me know if how useful it is because I never really found it useful in the slightest. Uh, but the direct control is quite interesting, you know, like instead of, left clicking a million times to move your character you just <laughs> directly control them with an analog stick and it feels a million times more comfortable in my opinion the console version as far as i'm aware i you know there's probably loads of little minutiae details here like oh, on the console version it's only 0.1 percent less of a damage hit than the, and i don't mm. really care about that this isn't that podcast uh, but <laughs> as as an experience uh, 
it's fine. Like it's up there with the PC version and you don't really see that much. Um, you, know, you don't really see that often. Like it took a little while to catch up to the PC, but the fact that they're still supporting it and the fact that they're still giving, you know, people opportunities to carry out, come back to play it. It's just, it's just, you know, it's brilliant. So yeah, if you're hesitant about buying D3 on consoles, well, you know, the current gen consoles don't because it's well supported. Yeah. And it's starting to appear in so many digital sales now. It was one of the most elusive games from a digital sale that I can <laughs> ever was. remember seeing because yeah. um, it was something that I was actively waiting for to play with it's a friend, it. which I'll discuss later on. But it's actually appeared in at least two, if not three sales in 2017 already. Mm. So that, that's kind of crazy. And I think it was one sale in 2016 and yeah. none before. Uh, and to your point about the controls, I wonder if the reason it translates so well to a controller is that it, I mean, I might be totally wrong on this, but it doesn't feel like precision is really needed in any way <laughs> in, in, the, mm. in, in these controls. Mm. So like, you know, it, you only need to just aim in the general direction of an enemy, at least that I've noticed when I was playing it. No, and, yeah. and, it and it'll go that way. And, and even if you're not, if you kill the enemy right in front of you and there's one right behind you, it'll just con- it'll immediately turn right yeah. around and start aiming at that mm. one. Yeah, it's it's a lot more user friendly in that yeah, regard compared yeah. to something like StarCraft Two, where we consistently hear about the you know clicks per second or actions right. per second, yeah, yeah. Um, and something that you think, well, that won't translate overly well to mm-hmm. a control pad. Um, yeah, absolutely. This Diablo Three is far more laid back in that regard. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, so before we get into the development history of this game, we're going to go through our histories of the game itself mm. and um, when did you get it and all that jazz. Um, yeah, uh, Carl, when did you get Diablo 3? It would have been in the end of year sale on Xbox One digitally at the end of 2015, the start of 2016. And I, mm. I have a friend in Canada that I speak to regularly and she's uh, a good friend of mine and we like to play games cooperatively. And one thing we always had in mind because she'd actually played Diablo 3 on PC as well. The Diablo 3 would be a great game that we can sort of play switch off and just uh, chat with each other whilst you know mm-hmm. moving along and and as, it, as soon as it appeared in a sale of any kind I think I got it for about 26 pounds which it's even cheaper now but 20 cuz this was one I think it was 60 pound digitally originally it was one of the really expensive digital games on there. So the the second that I could get it for sort of 50% off or more um, I snapped it up and, and with the idea of going through with my friend, which we did, you know, and it was it was sort of that that was going to be our co-op game. So it, I think it was about 10 months of waiting for it to appear in a sale <laughs> purely for that reason. And then we played it and it was great. Yeah, nice. Uh, yeah, Sean. Um, yeah, kind of similar uh, situation. Uh, I, I was... Um... I was, of course, curious about Diablo 3, as I said, I played the other two. So, you know, when it released on PC, I didn't didn't really have a PC that I usually played games on. And, you know, I, I, like I said earlier, Diablo 2 was the last time I used a mouse and keyboard. So I'd, I'd be super rusty if I... I'm, I'm, I'm going to have to play The Witcher later this year. <laughs> so I'll see how that works out. But um, when the uh, console versions were announced, I, a, a buddy of mine from up north uh, was like, hey, we should hook up and play this together. And I was like, yeah, sure. I rented it. And like about two days later, unfortunately, not to get all grim, but he passed away. So that kind of made me like I couldn't really play Diablo for a while. Like I was like that, mm. you know, that just was too close. Uh, yeah, so. Yeah, so so um, eventually later on down the line, I picked it back up and uh, played through it on PS3, and then uh, picked up the Reaper Souls version on PS4. Um, sometime I think last year in one of those, as you said, elusive sales on PSN. 
And uh, yeah, I picked up Diablo 3 on day one on PC and I endured Era 37, which we'll talk about in a second. Uh, yeah. Uh, and then I picked up the Xbox One physical version mm, sometime last year. It was going brand new on a website for 12 quid, I'm going to say, 15 quid. Ridiculous price. Hmm. And I hoovered it straight That's up. That's crazy. Yeah, that was kind of like, oh, is that a price error? Let's <laughs> yeah. buy it. And uh, yeah, yeah. So, and I played for it on that as well. And um, Diablo 3 was revealed at WWI, Worldwide Invitational. That was before BlizzCon, 2008. And, you know, people were going bonkers, like almost Final Fantasy VII Remake, Shenmue <laughs> freestyle levels of tears. And, you know, yeah. understandably, like the music kicks in and it's got that lovely kind of jangly guitar. You know, if that's if, if you spent your last X amount of years playing D2 nonstop, then finally, mm. I imagine when Half-Life 3 ever gets announced, I'll be the same <laughs> when you hear the old Gordon Freeman sounds. And I'll be like, <laughs> I'll be exactly the same. Um, but yeah, it came out. Uh, or it was coming out and people started complaining basically about the game and how it how it looks and basically how it feels there's a kind of um an interesting fan mock-up of what the game is versus what they what they believe it should be and you know the complaints that it's too bright and colorful were at odds of as to what d2 was and you know they they were worried about how it's going to affect their game and um it's a weird one because you should let people make the game they make and you know in retrospect, Blizzard actually went on stage and confessed that they're like, you know, this game wasn't what we thought it was. And they took a live panel and they took all these pot shots from the cust- um, customers. Yeah, consumers, players, customers. Mm-hmm. And, you know, they took it on the chin and they, they ended up creating Reaper of Souls, which I can't, you know, fair play. Like, you know, if you're going to take the, um, the criticism on the chin. And, mm-hmm. and so they did. Uh, there was an always online component, which got a lot of people's backs up. And it kind of still does today when games try it. Trying to log in. Era 37 was like this is great I'm loving this this kind of new <laughs> DRM that's being forced into my game I think that's one of the the bonuses to um, the console version is that you can play it offline you know if you were in that situation because local co-op is it still always online for PC I'm not too sure about now okay. it does log into Battle.net on it every time because oh, you need sure. the, the, yeah, okay. the or, or mm-hmm. Blizzard app handshake. whatever the, yeah, yeah it, does, it does do that every time I haven't tried it offline because I've, I've never had been in that situation sure right yeah, yeah. but you know um I was curious. It, it, it feels like it off. still needs it, yeah. yeah. But with local multiplayer on console, you know, that's... Right, yeah, you don't a, need a good it. No. Yeah. Uh, there was a real money auction house, which it seemed to be universally hated. <laughs> yeah. Which is quite interesting. Um, you know, it, it kind of ruined why you would play this kind of game in the first place. You know, and I, I kind of... I congratulate them. I, you know, I'm like, I, I applaud them for trying. Like, well done. Like, to take that the thing that people like about WoW so much, World of Warcraft, put it into D3 and see how it works. But the fact that it involved real money was a bit of a weird one. Yeah. Um. You know, it kind of. Well, I I don't know about it 100, percent but I'm sure there was like gold loot farmers in China, maybe somewhere selling <laughs> loot non-stop. I, I imagine there's people selling stuff all the time on D3 during its heyday. But then there were other things that were kind of less important to the actual game's core. Some people would see them as casual mode or baby mode. Some people would see them as quality of life. You know, these were complaints from people that, you know, they, they're, you, you don't run out of potions. You just get infinite potions that are on a cooldown. Right, yeah. 
Uh, you, d you don't need to identify items with scrolls, which you did in the other game. Unlimited town portal scrolls, health orbs on the floor. It all kind of led to this, mm, this game's for babies. And it's, you know, that, that horrible mentality of just like, mm, this game's rubbish. You know, Diablo 2 had such a long history and such a huge fan base that like any kind of change is probably going to upset mm -hmm. that user base, you know, regardless of whether it's, you know, someone like, myself like all this stuff sounds great to me like i'm glad it's all in there because i don't want to have yeah. to do any of that stuff but i get it i mean i was on the uncharted show last week and i was complaining about how four isn't anything like the first three in my opinion but um mm. so like you know i get the complaint but taking it like maybe to the developers is maybe a little a little harsh if you look at the list, it is a large amount of things that were changed quite yeah. radically um the decision sure, making yeah. by this time the designers had left um, to go and form their own games. So it felt like this was almost um, a kind of third party, but in-house it was a whole new set mm -hmm. of eyes on mm -hmm. it that dramatically changed the visual appeal of the game. As you said, Unlimited Health was a, a big one at the time, um, as as was being able to use the book to sort of see what stuff was. And I, like, I wasn't in with the community because it wasn't something I was playing at the time, but it was mm -hmm. the kind of thing that flooded news sites, the likes of Kotaku and Polygon, etc., would all have their news feeds up, up in arms with people complaining about the, the changes that had been made. I mm -hmm. think it's great that Blizzard are the kind of company that will sit down in front of people and listen to ideas. But at the same thing, it's these changes that made this a more appealing entry point to the right, franchise yeah. as a whole for me. <laughs> mm -hmm. So... Yeah. Um, it, it, I've been on the other end of it where there are many games I've loved the first and second of or something only for them to go and change a lot in the third one for in, in the hope of getting new players I mean something like Hitman Absolution is probably a prime example which came after the Blood Money and they'd made a lot to try and bring new new players into that franchise and sort of alienated the people that genuinely loved what the, the difficulty and the core of what was there and, and this is almost this is very clearly of that same ilk where changes really would ruffle the feathers of diehard Diablo 2 fans. Mm -hmm. Yeah, uh, it being a primarily a PC game, there was complaints that you couldn't mod it in any way. So like UI mods weren't allowed um, to make the game a more pleasant viewing experience. And mm -hmm. I kind of get that as well. I, yeah, I totally get that. Like, I don't understand what is up with Blizzard and that like Times New Roman font that they use all the time. <laughs> like i mean it's, that's, that's probably not the right font but it just it's so clashes yeah. with, to me with like all, all the rest of the style of the game like it's just so weird and they use it in overwatch too like i i don't understand why yeah. they, they stick with that font but man like, now that you mentioned it yeah it, it's weird but i've always just seen that chat text yeah. in the corner or something like it's always been there for me so i've never really looked at it differently right. but yeah. now that now that you've mentioned it yeah it's a bit it's like a throwback yeah. isn't it it's yeah a bit out of character yeah yeah it's just it sticks yeah, out to me i don't know Mm. I don't know, but I get like, especially if you're being PC, like having no mod support seems really, uh, it's kind of the direction that they'd moved in with Diablo one was incredibly, uh, highly cheated online. So they tried mm. to make stuff with Diablo two. Again, people always find a way, you know, it of course, was, yeah. I think, I think Diablo two was out two days before people had found out how to dupe gold, <laughs> which kind of would would have upset Blizzard. And then huh. the only way to try and keep people out is to try and make, you could call it more archaic methods, I guess, always on, refusing loot, uh, refusing mod allowances, etc. Are, are the way to try and lock these people out. And people will always find a way. They found a way with Overwatch. But then you just get Blizzard of the kind of company that go, hey, you know what, you've already given us your money, banned, lock out. And, <laughs> and of course, when they do it, because it goes through the Battle.net client, they can 
not only just lock you out from one game, they'll lock you out yeah, from yeah, their full yeah. suite, right. which mm. I've always kind of appreciated. You know, if you can't be trusted <laughs> in one. Yeah. In StarCraft 2, they have like an arcade mode where you can kind of make your own kind of levels and stuff mm. like games. It'd be mm. nice if they if they allowed people to make these light mods, kind of not like Steam Workshop where they can do crazy stuff, but like just kind of like light modifications to the mm. game that aren't going to affect the core gameplay just because... I, w- I want a different UI, but basically, mm-hmm. maybe yeah. I, w- I won't be- maybe I want fart noises to come out of my enemies when they die. <laughs> you know what I mean? Uh, when you got to Inferno difficulty in vanilla D three, the um, the enemies could be ridiculously unbalanced, and uh, yeah, I remember three little dudes that were chained together that they were feeding each other's health. Rehealing and healing each other as they run around on chains with lasers attacking me, and I was like, "This game, this game is ridiculous." And uh, yeah, I never really played Inferno because of that, and because people were weren't the friendliest. The community wasn't great, uh, but that's mm. a different issue altogether. It, it's of all the things in this game and the different difficulties, because there are a lot of difficulties, mm-hmm. yeah. um, and different enemies and random enemies that would drop in different areas. It's always the lasers. That's terrifying, right? So <laughs> to have three enemies that can fire lasers and heal each other is, is enough to sort of make you just switch oh, yeah. the game off and cry. Yeah. Indeed. Uh, so yeah, Andrew Brown from the forum says, probably the biggest sign of classic Diablo 3's design woes was the auction house. Diablo 2 had a thriving third-party auction house which worked with a combination of real-world money and uh, Stones of Jordan, a rare Diablo 2 item that became de facto currency when gold inflation reached points that you couldn't actually carry enough gold to buy things. Recognising this, Diablo 3 launched with an in-game auction house. But to keep the auction house relevant to players, the legendary and set drop rate had to be moderated to keep the market from becoming oversaturated. The result was a comically low drop rate and only players willing to spend real money or spend dozens of hours farming gold had a hope of assembling a complete set. This ruined what made D2 so much fun, killing things and looting what dropped, as the source of items became the auction house and not the game world itself. It might astound some who are not aware, as today in Reaper Souls you can see two or three legendary drops in an hour, but in all my time playing classic D3 for two years I saw only two or three legendaries drop total, and none of them at level cap when legendaries are actually useful. It's no accident that the biggest and most immediate change that Reaper Souls bought was dropping the auction house entirely. It was an utterly ill-conceived idea from the beginning. So that's kind of a nice little bite-sized chunk of why... D3 vanilla was kind of a bit like, oh man, like it, and not only leading up to it with the, was the art criticized and the always online thing was getting like the game itself was kind of a bit knackered. I mean, you're there for the loot. Like mm-hmm. if it's that rare to drop, that's insane. And, and, and man, that really like that rubs people the wrong way too. Cause you can tell it's a cash grab. Like, mm. You know, they can say it's for balancing all they want, but if it's, the, I mean, if it's that low, like two or three drops, what do you say? Two or three drops in two years? Like, that's insane. Like, yeah, they're clearly yeah. wanting you to pay Imagine. for it. And, you know, mm. you already gave them the full 60 bucks. Like, yeah, it's weird. Like, cause it is, it's obviously had a massive impact on his experience of what sure, Vanilla yeah. is. Mm-hmm. Um, but again, I kind of appreciate that they tried, but maybe they should have tried in beta form beforehand. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> like, yeah, yeah we, we'll get onto the beta in a bit um so yeah what went wrong with the uh, d3 of uh, vanilla game uh, like i say um blizzcon panel had the devs being criticized by their fans and their players and the main talking points were too much junk dropping from uh from loot 
drops. Uh, too much randomness and uh, lack of a fix waiting and made good items too hard to obtain. I don't know what that means, but I think that basically means give me more loot. You know what I mean? Yeah, yeah. And poorly designed legendaries and just basically all this stuff that they were complaining about just kept feeding into the fact that the loot system was, was broken and un, unenjoyable, unfun. So patch 2.0.1 came out. Uh, it's a pre-expansion game changer. That's my, they're my words. Uh, loot 2.0 that completely revamped the loot system. And it is what it is now where you roll into an area and things exploding. And it's, it's just amazing. Like, it's delicious. Like, there's orange, it's <laughs> green, it's purples. And it's just like, oh, this game is what it should have been in the first place. Uh, the Paragon which is basically your, if you play Destiny, it's your light level, your Paragon level cap was removed and it spans across all characters. So if you've hit it, if you've hit two, three, five in your Barbarian, like I have, you can then start a level one character with 235 Paragon level points on that character. And uh, it makes rolling a new character a lot more enjoyable. They added more difficulties from Normal Nightmare Hell Inferno to Normal Hard Expert Master Torment 1 to 6. And now it goes all the way up to 13, and Torment 13 is ridiculous, but in a fun way. Uh, so Andrew Brown on the forum says, When D3 was released in May 2012, it was not ready. Its beta test was a farce, infamously going months at a time of updates and not once letting players past the uh, Skeleton King. It was the first third of the first act of four, with four successive at difficulty levels. In other words, the public beta test covered uh, less than one thirty-sixth of the total game in spite of running for over a year. Yeah, that's, that's a problem. Yeah. Um, the result was when D3 was finally released, everything past the Skeleton the King felt unbalanced. It was not uncommon for certain standard enemy attacks to be uh, one-hit kills. The Bulls charging attack in Act 1, the Beach projectile attacks in Act 2, oh yeah, and the Demon mm -hmm. Lord's ram attack in Act 4 all spring to mind. Environmental effects like burning floors or the bursting plant pods in the far oasis could also kill your character in one hit. Certain enemy affixes bordered on abuse of the player. Invulnerable minions is probably the most infamous of these and my good friend, a major gamer, and I uh, had a standing policy to drop the game if we ran into it. I don't mean to suggest that Diablo shouldn't be difficult and indeed they've probably gone too far in the other direction mm -hmm. but playing D3 at launch felt more like a chore than a video game and then there's D3's content itself once you've reached the level cap which required beating the story three times over on three ascendant difficulty levels end game consisted of Inferno difficulty which was the same story all, all over again on a fourth difficulty level for the sake of efficiency end game was reduced to playing and replaying Act 3 over and over and over and over again Editions uh, like the Infernal Machines tried to force players to spread out more, but instead resulted them in grinding bosses they were already grinding to begin with. It felt like another casualty of the game uh, never being publicly tested past the Skeleton King. There simply wasn't anything to do once you'd beaten it. I think it's actually incorrect to say that D3 never got a proper beta test. It did receive a beta test, only it was sold as a finished game, and a lot of us paid uh, money for a retail copy to participate in it. That's got to be a tough call for Blizzard. Like, you you know, you put out a beta test. You want to get enough uh, of a pool of, you know, experience yeah. out there. But, it, you know, and you don't want to give away too much of your game at the same time. But it certainly sounds like they uh, didn't put enough out there for sure. But by contrast, you can also go too far the other way. Yeah. Which something like Destiny is probably the most culpable where yeah. they gave away 50% of that game <laughs> in a beta test and then people go into it expecting loads of right, loads yeah. more content and only Not to so realise that, yeah, they've actually seen the, the better of the two locations as well. 
especially a game they've been working 13 years on. Yeah. Like, you know, they, yeah. they must have been so scared of putting it out there in, yeah. in any way. Yeah. Oh, God, what are we doing? And they just put out a little tiny bit. And we're like, oh, good, we did it. <laughs> and, then, and then, you know. They, they... It's a case, all too often, it, it's dead. It's really, really easy to criticise games publishers and games developers. Um, when a lot of the decisions they have to make are not easy decisions in the first place. Like no, no one has a magic formula for success. We're all too quick to criticise stuff. And I, th- I think uh, it's a very fine line to walk, particularly when it comes to beta testing. And this is probably one that didn't really get it quite right. Uh, another contribution from the forum is from Maxstat. This is a beast. So um, strap in. Uh, D3 is a very interesting game to analyse. I played it on PC about 683 hours. Nice. I was a fairly enthusiastic fan of Diablo series, playing both first and second one, but I was never a person who played the same content over and over again, so I usually got my hellish fix and moved on. When the third game was announced, I immediately started remembering all those amazing moments. The iconic Tristram music, monsters, Mm. ah, fresh meat, and I was really looking forward to it. D3 on launch was a mixed bag. There was a lot to like about D3. Game was definitely slick, looked and uh, ran very well. Animations were amazing, and the four classes we got were very different, and also had a couple of different playstyles. The fight design was also improved. Blizzard definitely took the WoW approach to the boss encounters with uh, environmental hazards and their boss charges that you had to move out the way of. The story was also fine, it kept the game going. It wasn't Citizen Kane, but Dabbler Games never had uh, a very detailed story or lore. On the other hand, some of the design choices caused a lot of problems. One of such problems was caused by um, the decision to make D3 an always online game. You could play uh, by yourself, but you still needed uh, Battle.net to use it. Was it a good decision in hindsight? I think so, because it, really um, it really made it simple for you and your friends to play together or to quickly find a group for a couple of runs. It's really just one click. But at that time, it meant a lot of server issues and locked you out of the game, especially at launch. You guys might remember all those articles and memes about Era 37. Second, even more serious issues was a combination of bad loot drop design with Auction House. Uh, It was entirely, um, in the beginning, your loot was totally randomised. No restrictions or tweaks, so you get only the things that you can use. Uh, This created not only a lot of frustration, but also a lot of junk that affected other players. This is uh, where the in-game currency Auction House comes in. In the first couple of weeks of the Auction House was just pages of pages of useless junk, which made it look like more like a hoarder's den rather than a marketplace. Think about what Diablo was all about. I suspect the majority of players was, would probably answer, I play it to kill monsters and get juicy loot. The, uh, the addition of the auction house made looting fairly irrelevant because you had very low chance of getting very good loot thanks to the endless numbers of stat combinations. Your best bet was just to jump on the auction house every 10 levels and just buy the new set of armor. You've got to admit, this takes a lot of the thrill out of a new drop. Two years later, enter Reaper of Souls. This is where D3 was at its best. About two weeks before launch of a new expansion, Blizz released the uh, pre-expansion patch 2.0.1, which added uh, or fixed a lot of issues. It provided um, a lot of overhaul to classes just to keep them fresh, but also interesting. Anyone remember Old Marauder set? No, I don't. Uh, This was also the point where they fixed the loot system, so you only get things that were somewhat useful to you. Items were made um, account bound, so if you got something you wanted to use on another character, they got you covered. Yeah, you can put it in a in a stash. Uh, they revamped the crafting system, though I can't really recall what changes they made. And progression levels with addition to, uh, to the new torment difficulties, and that was a free patch. Yeah, two weeks later, the expansion kicked in with a new class, Crusader, the new Act Five, new in-game content in bounties and Nephilim rifts. It gave you new ways of playing. After level 70, instead of running through story over and over again, you had random quests. 
Or you could jump in uh, randomised dungeons. For a long while, Diablo was a fun game to play, and with the introduction of seasons in the next patch, 2.1, new armour sets that gave your character new player styles, there was always a reason to go back. For about a year and a half, every season introduced something new and exciting. Unfortunately, Diablo didn't have a chance with the new kids on the block. Sheer amount of um, money from games like Hearthstone, Overwatch, even oldies like WoW just got a lot more attention from Blizzard. Patch 2.3, which was released on the 28th of August 2015, was the last patch season with significant content additions. After that, we got a map here, rift design there, but it was clear that you mostly got cosmetics out of uh, every season. After that, some information started popping up about reducing the size of the D3 team, about hiring a new game director for... A new game placed in the Diablo universe, which again doesn't bode well for D3. There's a mini expansion that adds Necromancer to the game as paid, as paid DLC, no price at the time. Interjection, it's, uh, it's the beta's live now, the closed beta's live mm. now. But that might not be enough to convince Blizzard to invest more into this game. I still consider D3 a success. It's a really fun game, especially after the release of its expansion. It's just sad to see it slowly go away. I mean, there is a criticism there that um, about them hiring a new uh, game designer for a new game place in the Diablo universe, but that mm. has to be the case because Josh Mosquera left yeah. Blizzard in 2016, and he's the guy who led the direction of Diablo 3. I mean, this is, this is the guy who directed something like Company of Heroes, for example, which was widely regarded as one of the greatest RTS games on PC for the longest time, won a countless awards and he's come in and done something with Diablo 3 where it got incredible reviews and such so when they're losing someone like that big steps have to be made in terms of stuff that was added uh, with the expansion and the crafting transmogrification of your items is probably the big one um, for changing the look of your armor sets and it was something that when I was playing it with my friend she was like really excited to be able to sort of create these cool looking armors and, and wear those cool looking armors Diablo 3 has some delicious cutscenes and some amazing presentation because, of course, it does. It's a Blizzard game. Even if you or, or me or I or whoever, if you don't get on with the stories in these games, you can definitely look at this, some, of the, some of the FMVs and go, oh, yeah, that's nice. <laughs> but the, um, the story in D3, basically, I, I, I know it as taking place after D2, a meteor comes down, kills Decker Kane. <laughs> the, the, the niece is like oh no uncle and then she helps you go through the axe and then you can you beat Diablo at the end <laughs> and I'm being horribly dismissive and it's very <laughs> unlike Kane and Rince to do something like that but that's kind of how I see the story and it's very it's, it's, a, it's like number nine of the priority for me in terms of you know they're like gameplay's number one Story yeah. number nine, and uh, the only the only thing lower than story for me in this game is the audio because this is a good podcast game. There you, there you go. Um, but the actual official story is uh, the game takes place in Sanctuary, the dark fantasy world of the Diablo series, twenty years after the events of D two. Decker Kane and Leah are in Tristram Cathedral, the same cathedral that was in the setting of Diablo, investigating ancient texts regarding an om- ominous prophecy. A mysterious star falling from the sky strikes the cathedral, creating a deep crater in which Decker Kane appears. Uh, disappears. <laughs> there was a choice there between appears and disappears, and I got it wrong. Uh, creating a deep crater into which Decker Kane disappears. So I guess he won't be staying around and listening. Hey. Did it. Did the joke, guys. I did it. Pale Avenger. He made his, uh, he crept onto the forum and he made his first post. So well done for you, 
Well done to you for doing that. I appreciate it. He says, I have I played D2 several years after it came out and had some great times battling through its dark world. I had heard from an acquaintance that this was a game his girlfriend enjoyed playing with him, so I thought that Diablo straightforward co-op gameplay, on lower difficulties at least, would be a fun way to get my own girlfriend introduced to playing video games with me. This turned out to not be the case. We played together for an hour, during which I could practically feel my girlfriend rolling her eyes at the bits of inane dialogue. The first time her barbarian character grunted some barely intelligible drivel at my um, overdramatic hunter, my girlfriend said simply, She's not very smart, is she? <laughs> so I thought, so I would have to wait for another chance to bring her into the fold. The thing is, in this case, I can't really blame her. For context, I picked up the Ultimate Evil Edition on sale for the uh, Xbox 360, so Blizzard had already worked out the bugs that plagued the initial release. As a result, my only real complaint with the game is that, for the lack of a better word, it's uh, silly. Whereas D2 fully committed to the over-the-top premise and reveled in it like a good B-movie, D3 feels like it can't decide what it wants to be. One moment, it feels like it's really, really trying to be a serious, thought-provoking, gripping epic of good versus evil. But in the next moment, the incredibly campy writing hamstrings any dark, mature tone it tried to set. It's a good thing that, in the end, this is not a game about story or characters, because in my mind, Diablo 3 utterly falls at uh, developing either. Thankfully, the final edition of the game completely nailed both the power fantasy and reward loop aspects of gameplay. It was consistently entertaining to smash through swarms of nasty arriving beasties in search of the next absurdly large weapon for my arsenal, and the ability to switch out a large selection of skills added variety to the mix. When I'm in the mood for mindless monster slaying and loot chasing, D3 is a good time. Just don't ask anything more than that. I don't know why they put so much effort like, and so much talent and money into these cutscenes that are amazing. Like there's, God, they they look yeah. gorgeous. Even what is this? Five years later, like still looks insanely good. And then the actual in-game story is such forgettable nonsense, and dialogue is just awful. And like <laughs> my favorite example of this is in the very first chapter when you meet the blacksmith, and um, you're talking to him after you do a couple of missions, and he's like, "Hey, my wife is uh, she's turning into a monster in my basement. Can you help me kill her?" And you're like, yep, okay, fine, no problem. And then so you go down in the basement, you kill her, and then he's like, oh, man, thanks for that. <laughs> just, there's like no, like he, he sets it up like, oh, this is, you know, utterly tragic thing you have to do. You knock her out in five seconds and then whatever, carry on. Like it's just, it, there's no consistency anywhere. And just such a, it's a shame because you can tell that there's talent with those cutscenes. It's just... I don't know. They just drop it. <laughs> There's great potential there for for some superb storytelling, sure, and, yeah. and the battle between heaven and and hell. Oh yeah, it's incredible. Always yeah. lends for so much potential to be told, and ev- everyone loves the tales of like fallen angels and and deep evil and stuff. So for the game to sort of not quite get it is a little bit sad. And when I when I was playing it, I mentioned I was playing with my friends, so we had a lot of talking. So the story became so second. I mean, it wasn't even it it wasn't even tertiary to my. <laughs> experience of yeah, playing this game yeah. um and it, it did sort of didn't bother me we sort of blast through it and we'd listen to every, every speech that they had to make and then when we went through the game again it was a case that we could quickly skip it because it's a game that's about in the moment action in in the combat than it is actually listening to the story but the first time i ever really listened to the story 
um, was I, it, it was actually a few days before we recorded this podcast. And my cousin, who she plays games every now and again, but she's more of someone who's like, a, because of her current situation, she watches a lot of Let's Plays on YouTube. But she has a couple of friends that always play Diablo 3 together. So given that I own it, it was a great chance for her to play. It. And she was dead excited. And she chose a character and she was going through... Um, as the wizard and she was dead excited and then she was like sort of happy but I think she was a little bit taken aback by the speech and I was sat there sort of rolling my eyes going this is awful like <laughs> I've finished this game three times and I have not got a clue what's happening here yeah. <laughs> so it, 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 that story and the delivery of it's a bit of a shame and mm-hmm. I know that the the, the, the story writing and, and the sort of the script writing with the the quests dialogue and law was uh, done by uh, Leonard Biaski, who's he since he since left. Um, but th- this is a guy who was a key designer on Fallout games. He was one of the um, he was basically every everything behind Vampire the Masquerade Bloodlines, which is a cult cult favorite game on the PC. Mm-hmm. Um, so that they brought this guy in with obviously the potential to be able to really do stuff and. I don't think we're being overly harsh when we all say that the story kind of is negligible and a little hard to understand at times and certainly underwhelming, I would say. I would say underwhelming is probably an ideal way to describe it. Hmm. Yeah, you know, if you're employing all these artists for future games, they're still sitting around twiddling their thumbs with something mm. they need to do, so they have to make you know the goodness that they make. Um they're worth watching, but yeah, I just don't expect it to, um, well, it hasn't stuck around in my head at all. And the, the voice acting also doesn't help either. Like, Leah's fine, Tyrael's fine, but like, the oh man, I, like I said this week, I've been playing The Barbarian, and her her vocal performance is just, I honestly can't tell if it's kidding sometimes. Like, she talks yeah. very slow like this, with a very <laughs> thick accent, like, oh my god, yeah. It's just it's just so disappointing because you can tell this is such a talented team. I would have appreciated it more if they had just gone all in on being ridiculous. Yeah, yeah absolutely. Movie. Just just gone in and been in like that sense of intentionally mm-hmm. corny or not being out there. That kind of um, Conan the Barbarian, mm-hmm. Red Sonja style. Yeah. This is ridiculous. Or you know, Commando, or basically any Arnie movie just <laughs> right, yeah, <laughs> of the eighties, yeah. early nineties, because you, you you just sort of laugh at them. But this it definitely just sort of run that tight line between being serious and being comical and you never quite know which side it wants to be on because it doesn't lay out there. It's not all serious enough to be an intentionally well-crafted story, but it's not daft enough all the time for those daft bits to not seem bizarre in in their implementation. (laughs) It's another comparison to Destiny there. Perfect example again. That's that's another game that that had had the same issues as Diablo 3. The one thing that really sticks in my head from playing the whole of the story is that it seemed to follow a trend of games calling you Nephilim for the whole thing. <laughs> uh, I had no idea what a Nephilim was, yeah, but yeah. I think I was playing Devil May Cry. Devil May Cry that, yep. that, mm-hmm. Yeah, that remake. Uh, no, not remake, sorry. Reimagining. El Shaddai did it and Darksiders. And I think they all came around about the, near enough the same couple, like a couple windows. It's a heavenly body, I believe. Is it, is it not? A, a Nephilim's a heavenly body that's born into an angel or something along I those lines? It's like a mix it. of... Well, at least in Devil May Cry, it was a, he was a mix of angel and demon or something. I don't yeah. know if that's the definition across the board, but... Hello, this is Ryan from the editing room, providing some historical context for what we're talking about. 
The Nephilim are creatures from Jewish scripture who are said to be the offspring of the sons of God and the daughters of men. That is, angels came down from heaven and bred with the women of the earth and created a race of giants, half angel, half man. At this point in the Jewish tradition, this is when God kind of looked down at the earth and said, I'm not really (laughs) all that pleased with the way that things are going. This was not how I intended it to be. And so this was, in the uh, Jewish tradition, one of the events that led up to the, uh, the flood of Noah. The Nephilim were said to be heroes of old and warriors of renown. And there are many stories throughout the Jewish scriptures that point to great giant warriors or, or races of giant people that are said to be these Nephilim creatures. <laughs> Anyways, I think Darren's doing a wonderful job, don't you? <laughs> Back to the show then. Uh, it just reminded me of the word souffle, and then I like <laughs> I like I like puddings, and now a Nephilim to me is just a delicious pudding, and yeah. that, that, that's what I know about the Dave Freak story. So um, <laughs> there you go. Yeah. Sorry about that. Don't play word association with Darren Gaget is what we're getting here because you will end down a really strange. <laughs> it always ends in pudding. Mm. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Nephilim. <laughs> it's a good word. Anyway, yeah. so yeah, these um this uh, this story is played across uh, four different acts if you've only got the original game, or five acts if you've got the Reaper of Souls, which you know really you should have. You in my should, opinion. yeah. Yeah. Um, you know, uh, Act One is New Tristram, and then uh, Act Two is Cal- Caldeum. Uh, act Three is Bastion's Keep, and uh, not the robot from Overwatch. Uh, act <laughs> Four is Garden of Hope, which looks delicious, and Act Five is West March. Um. One thing that really struck me about struck me about this game's um, art style is just its commitment to making each act seem completely different in terms of visual. Uh, you knew exactly where you were at any point, based on well, based on like you know the the, the art around you. That for a game that's isometric, they've done a really good job in making these acts feel identifiable. Like I reckon, if, if I looked at a screenshot. I could pretty much point out exactly where I am in that mm. world based on that screenshot. And that's, that's pretty good going for a game that's fixed camera. Um, what do people think about the... I mean, the story structure across the five acts becomes, well, completely redundant when you start finding out adventure mode exists and stuff like that. But from the act one to five experience, did, did, did we like it? It's something that's important, I think, with games that can be this long and RPGs especially like you need to have something new to just look at even if you know the gameplay isn't grabbing you in this case it does for me but you know with many RPGs it, uh, I know with recent most recently uh, Horizon Zero Dawn came out and I didn't really get too far into it but I know for a while it felt very samey looking like the, the a lot of the locations that I kept going into were just these really pretty woods and that kind of gets boring after a while so I appreciate that Diablo yeah. 3 changes it up each time, each each act. And, and even in the acts themselves, they'll get some different locations, especially dungeons and stuff like that. So they do a good job here. I think one thing that Blizzard tend to get is that they have these art styles and environments in games that aren't the most technically incredible to look at, mm-hmm. yet very visually appealing with how they're colored and how they're textured. So something like World of Warcraft is still quite visually appealing despite being you know, old, and then you've got something like Overwatch, which was released in 2016, technically inferior to, say, something like a Crisis or a Crisis 2, but for me, is far more 
pretty to look at and be in those worlds. And and this Diablo 3 is something that also fell along those lines. And because the acts were different and varied to each other, it was a case of, oh, when I get to Act 3, I wonder what it's going to look like. When I get to Act 4, I wonder what it's going to look like. And, and bar the one that's sort of like the Heaven's Gate kind of area, uh, which I wasn't overly keen on the look of that, I adored them. And, and of course, one thing that Diablo 3 does differently to at least what I've seen from a lot of Diablo and Diablo 2 is that there's a lot of uh, exterior exploration around the mm-hmm. world. Mm. So you're going across these big landscapes of, uh, of forests or desert and I think that that, is, that lends for something that's really interesting. And we, one of the big criticisms, of course, was that it was a bit brighter yeah. in terms of colours. Yeah. Um, and, you know, the, artist, the lead artist turns around and says that contrasts your friend and colours your friend and stuff, which <laughs> coming from an artistic background, that's the kind of thing... I agree. Mm-hmm. You know, black black's always your contrast colour, but sometimes if you, everything looks that certain style, um, like... Diablo 2 is a prime example. I look at that game and I think it's the mechanics and stuff are very interesting, but I find the environment and the look of it very drab. Yeah. Um, and the kind of thing that I would find quite, I wouldn't say soul destroying because that is incredibly a bold statement to make about it, but it would definitely have a drain on me mm-hmm. that mm-hmm. I'm seeing this brown, grey, yeah. red yeah. dungeon over and over. So the fact that they were actually so varied in Diablo 3 was a huge boon for me because um, it brought that level of excitement back. Um, for for getting to the next stage, uh, when, when talking with my friend, so these are the kinds of things you know it, it would have upset some people because it wasn't traditional to Diablo compared to the first and the second. But for me, I absolutely adored the fact that the we had these colours um, and, and variety and environments. And I mean, none of them are things that we've not really seen before. You know, desert, forest. We've, we've seen those in countless games, but. It does have a, uh, an art style which I personally found very appealing, so I actually enjoyed my time in all of those environments by the sort of the Heaven's Gate thing because, I, and I think that was more on just a design aspect than than a visual appeal. I think for me, Act Five is probably my least memorable, maybe because I, I don't know why. Actually, uh, I, I just remember the first four a lot more than I do the fifth, uh, even though I've played like the adventure mode. You know, for tens and dozens and hundreds of hours potentially. West West March for me doesn't really stick out as a standout, but um, you know, I like the lead up to boss fights. Uh, there's you always get a nice vista and like you always yeah, get some decent yeah. kind of environmental art to look at. And on your way there, you know, you, not everyone's going to see the same stuff because these levels are roughly, you know, they're they're very vaguely randomly generated. So you might take a different kind of. Um, interior approach or you might bump into different things not not always but you might see different things that someone else may not different um may see uh, the achievement tracker in the pc version specifies where exactly you've been and there's there's so many opportunities to see different stuff that you know i, I tried to tick all these boxes and realized that it would have sent me insane yeah um but, but for for me in in contrast to you carl i think garden of hope is is probably my favorite yeah me too honestly <laughs> i'm surprised to hear you say that. especially because I, I really dig how um you know it's very clearly very heavenly and angelical but it's it has all this like corruption that you have to clear mm. out and all this this you know you're chopping up all these demons and stuff it just it, it, i like the contrast between uh how pretty it was and how nasty it could be yeah and then like you pop into these like kind of rift uh, rift kind of areas yeah, and it's just full yeah. of like literally hundreds of spiders and horrible <laughs> right, yeah. you know demonic beasts and stuff yeah 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 highlight for me so you know 
as you play through these five acts, you get to choose one of many uh, classes. You've got the Barbarian, the Crusader, which is added with Reaper of Souls, Demon Hunter, Monk, Witch Doctor, Wizard, and the upcoming Necromancer. This is kind of the beauty of D3 in that you can kind of go super deep into it if you want to or not. But did any of us bother with a specific class build? Like, did you set your skill tree or skill set in a way that, you know, you were going to min-max your character or did, did, uh, did, did you not bother? Yes. Mine was mine was very specifically crafted hmm. because uh, when I did the hardcore mode, hmm. I did it with my friend. So I was a case that mine would tank. The Crusader has the ability to die and not technically die, which is huge in hardcore mode. And the ability to throw your shields and, and tank, uh, given another class where my friend played as the Demon Hunter, mm-hmm. she could away, cause yeah. massive damage from a distance. Mm-hmm. Uh, everything was carefully crafted so that the two classes would work really well uh, mm-hmm. and there was a really good synergy between them. So... Um, when when I played my hardcore mode, yeah, absolutely. It was a very specific build tree. Um, when I've gone through with stuff like the Witch Doctor or even the Crusader on just a normal playthrough, far less just picking the ones that felt the most useful per situation rather than building a perfect class for the overall. I, I definitely went online and was like, right, I'm a barbarian, what do I need? And there's obviously strength and kind of, it took me a while to get used to the kind of the general lingo that people were spouting online. It's, it kind of changes based on what game you're playing. And it took me a little while to realize that I need like red gems to sock it into my armor. And basically what exactly do I need? And in typical blizzard fashion, the moves that you assign, they all link into one another. It reminded me of being the, the cow druid on world of Warcraft and that, Every move has a specific cooldown and it feeds into the next move and it feeds into the next move. And that's kind of why the combat and the gameplay is so Moorish, if you want to use that word. Yeah. It's kind mm-hmm. of like you, you you end up perfecting this cooldown juggling. and it, Order, yeah. Yeah, you know, and it really feeds back into your brain like you're you're doing it and it's you, you are the one that's making these things happen. And it's so rewarding and it's all down to you understanding your character. And the more you play, the more you understand. And then the more your cooldown order kind of feeds back on itself. It's a, yeah. it's a really, it's a really well-designed loop and Blizzard have always been good at that. And that's kind of why when I see a Blizzard logo on a game, I'm like, that's going to play well. That's going to play well. <laughs> There's that sense of balance and trust there, isn't there? And, and when you're sort of playing it, the automated finger gymnastics that you run, because mm-hmm. um, in my instance, I was playing on the Xbox One it becomes sort of automatic to the situation. And mm-hmm. if a game can get that, then it's onto a winner, you mm-hmm. know? So the ability to press sort of X, then Y, and then know that you've got to wait a couple of seconds and hit right bumper. And these are the order that you want to run these in for when you've got these uh, mobs of enemies that are swarming you because you know exactly what your, your friend, if you're playing it in co-op, because co-op is a really great way to play this game. I don't know if we've necessarily established just how um, the game feels different solo to mm-hmm. co-op. When you're doing that and you know what your partner's going to be doing, um, it becomes a really interesting way to do stuff. And um, uh, there's that sense, particularly with Blizzard games, and for anyone who plays something like Overwatch, they'll get a good grasp of just how much care Blizzard pay to balancing. You know, we uh, you see a lot of games, because balancing is not alien. Most games have balancing. Fighting games have been doing it for eons since online updates came about, you know, so and then revisions and such. But the fact that they take the time and Blizzard are very transparent and they exp- one of the key things I always like is that whenever they make change logs, they always give the 
in in the case of Overwatch, for example, Jeff Kaplan always gives his reasons why they thought that was the reason that they needed to go down. And then they work on balancing between characters. So if something doesn't quite feel right between, say, the monk and the witch doctor, something might be tweaked so that one works better with the other. Mm. And then the key is that they'll all sort of, they'll always have classes that they work slightly better with, but they'll all work with each other in certain ways if you play and perform certain moves at certain times. And that that's something that feels really fresh, especially if you want to start building you know, your classes a specific way, it becomes a really interesting process. Yeah, synergy is the word I'll probably use to describe <laughs> their gameplay. It's um, It's great. As of patch 2.5.0, which is the latest one of April the 15th, 2017, um, we have so much to talk about, but I don't think we're going to go into every single detail because we haven't got the time. Um, but yeah, you, you have the campaign uh, with the, the, um, and the, the various modes that accompany it, but you can go up to Torment 13 now. Um, it's dictated by Paragon level, so you need a you know, a certain amount of Paragon level to unlock the next Torment difficulty. And uh, it's just, it's mad. Like, it, it's 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 really tough. But, you know, the people out there are really good at it now. And as you play through these um, these acts, as we said earlier, you've got your enemies, which we've discussed with, you know, your most hated kind of um, elemental type, which pff, arcane lasers are, the, the, again, the prime example of like, oh, just go away. Let's just, come on, let's yeah, they're, on. they're awful compared to yeah. pretty much everything else. Mm. Uh, yeah, everything else feels manageable, but the second that lasers, because it's never just one. Right, of course, it's like six no. or seven. You, like, you sort of dance in yeah. between them um, yeah. and they drain your energy so much, even when you're playing as, you know, a tank with additional health kind of thing. It's, yeah. it, it, it will really take you down quick, even at the not so difficult levels. That was always the sort of the thing that you had to look out for. But then on the flip side to that, you've got these goblins that make these wicked noises that you hear in the corner of the, yeah. uh, the room and you're like, oh, and then you look at there your mini-map and yeah. you can see it on there and you, yeah, you, the whole game just shifts, kind of like the final smash <laughs> in Smash Brothers. Like the whole game stops, uh, it stops being what it is, which is a, you know, yeah. a co-op game against minions. And it all becomes about just beating the life out of this one little <laughs> minion, this one little goblin that has no choice other than maybe a teleport out if you, um, if you don't attack him. And these could take you to various places like Whimsydale, which is a, a great kind of mock, uh, a Mickey takeout of the people who moaned about the art style where you go in there <laughs> and it's sunshine and lollipops and unicorns and rainbows. And it's, yeah, it's brilliant. And then there's the treasure goblin, which I don't know if anyone else... Oh, uh, anyone else anyone else here has seen um but he takes you to like a thing called a treasure realm which looks like the best vault in the world and it's just when i first found that out i didn't know it was in the game so we just punched this goblin to death and this thing opened up i ended up in this like scrooge mcduck style environment where money was <laughs> everywhere and i came out of the the other side with like a hundred million gold and i was like something's changed <laughs> it's just like, it's changed into Diablo, and I don't really. Yeah, and it it felt amazing, and so I never, I never got to see the Treasure Realm or Whimsydale, but I did see develop. I did get the one percent drop on development hell. That's the one where there's a lot of enemies, and they're all named after the dev, dev team. So every creature has a name. <laughs> That's cute, and it's a developer. And apparently, there's two. There's development hell and quality well, which mm. the quality <laughs> well everyone's named after the QA team. <laughs> Um, but in development nice. in development hell it's the, it's like it'll say a uh, lead environment artist then the name <laughs> wow. and that's the person that you're beating in this environment and it was like I was playing through with my friend and we didn't know that it was a 1% drop at the time I had to search you up uh, 
at a later date and I found that that was the case. I was like, this is this is weird. Mm-hmm. This is this is a little different to everything <laughs> else we've seen, but it was kind of funny. And then, it, you know, it quickly dawns on you that this is actually the team that yeah, made this game. That's awesome. Nice. That, that was really cool. And apparently it's a 1% drop on, on only on the higher difficulties, mm. which is why we got it on our hardcore run. Yeah, I'm looking at some screenshots now. There is definitely a beast uh, called Jay Wilson. So, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I, thank you very much, Carl. I did not know that. Um, so alongside the campaign and the minions and the goblins and the development of hell level, there's um, the uh, Reaper of Souls added the adventure mode, which is probably the, the place where you, you know, you, you come for the campaign, you stay for the adventure mode. It's like an arcade mode. You, you see your overworld map and there are various points to choose from, uh, five of which are highlighted with an exclamation point. And if you complete these five, you get a bonus cache of items. If you complete just five on their own, you get a, a normal cache and you you pop these caches um, and to get crafting materials, which feed back into other parts of the end game in adventure mode. So if you complete 10 or five bounties, as they're known on this world map, you then have the opportunity to open up uh, rifts and greater rifts, which are kind of a, a different place to kill things, which then give you um, rare gems and uh, leaderboards and crafting mats. And mm. the end game for this is so deep that <laughs> I had to spend like you know another twenty hours just either it's reading nuts. about it or yeah. experiencing it again, and then. So beyond the rifts and the greater rifts, you've got things called uh, set dungeons, which um, are dungeons specifically tailored to your character wearing a certain set of armor, and it's really hard. And you've also got, uh, uh, there's a cube, which is based on an item from Diablo 2, where you can remove properties from um, weapons and armor and apply them to your current weapons and armor set. There's all this stuff that's (laughs) here that I think each individual point we could spend the two hours talking about um, yeah, but this in this this for me is where the real the real Diablo three is, and I hate to say that kind of phrase, but it really feels makes like sense, yeah. you know the, this is why people enjoy D two so much. Like there must have been something similar in D two that feels like adventure mode in D three. Are we all in agreement that the, the adventure mode is by and large where we spent most of our time? Diablo three is very like Destiny in that way, in that you finish the story and it's like you might as well class that as the tutorial Brilliant, introduction yeah. to the mm. rest of the game. And it, it's weird because this is called adventure mode and it might as well have just been called post game. Yeah. Um, be- because that's where everything is. And you realize that you uh, play the smaller sections over and over in mm-hmm. so many different ways from, you know, the bounties and the rifts, the great rifts, the dungeons, etc. cetera, um, as a result of this. And it's far more immediate and action oriented and now you've got the introduction but now you get to play it without any of that ridiculous story mm, yeah, yeah so um it there's, there's a ridiculous amount of content and things to do obviously this is where it becomes a case of getting um your major loot drops and your class items and class armors etc so this is this is your main body of the game um i just fear that there's probably a lot of people out there that finished the story and then were like okay i'm done and mm. it's like you haven't really actually played the game in a strange kind of manner it's it's all about the sort of adventure mode and i for, from looking at it in, a, in an, an achievement point of view on consoles the achievements very much lend themselves to completing the campaigns except for the one for completing a countless amount of bounties so if you're following the achievements then that is one way that would pull you into the end game but if you're not it's very possibly you would miss the entirety of the end mm-hmm. game yeah i appreciate it still in a way that there is so much 
that the campaign is enough, I think, like on its own to warrant like a full purchase for mm. me anyway. Um, but that they even bothered with all of this endgame stuff is, as we've been saying throughout the podcast, like just a testament to how much they really care about their games, especially afterwards. Like, you know, so much support. It's just a great thing. Yeah. It makes you wonder, like, if ever a D4 was to happen, like, this would have to be like this is like the new standard now surely if they release another game where it doesn't have this kind of quick access in you know, arcade mode so to speak um you would have the same issues as you would at the start of d3 you know this is absolutely gold like this is pure gaming gold and um i can see why um every time i log back into the pc uh, game and even the console game like people are still playing absolutely yeah. adventure mode like just non-stop adventure just just repeating the bounties get getting the the, the crafting mats and the materials the, the other materials needed to open the rifts and then from those rifts you get these kind of um keystones that open the greater rifts and they offer more challenge and it's just non-stop it's cycle just, yeah it, yeah you know it reminded me of um world of warcraft in a way like people were just constantly just grinding out the instances mm-hmm. and the adventure mode kind of very very you know not specifically the same but they kind of scratched the same itch for me at some point where I just put a podcast on or an album or something that's just come out and I was like right I'm just going to do some bounties for a couple of hours and it would just go like that the, the, you know this game for yeah. me is one of those games where it's like oh the, 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 it's night time oh and then you realise where time had gone and the community that sort of formed from the the original D3 vanilla mm-hmm. was very kind of because it was so tough and unbalanced I found that the community then was like bit nasty like the internet can be at times it's like oh you haven't got it they were inspecting my character straight away and they're like oh you haven't got the right thing equipped and i was like oh <laughs> log off log off <laughs> but now the adventure mode when you put it on torment 11 out of 13 people are just playing it and they're just having a good time and it doesn't really matter if you die there, there, there seems to be a lot less of like you know moaning and crying people are just there to have a good time in the adventure mode and you know, you can split off in different groups on the map. You don't have to play it all together. Like two of you could tackle a certain thing over there and two of you could tackle a certain thing over there. And it allows you to play on your own in a group of four or five. And that for me is kind of, it sounds like a weird oxymoron to say, like, you know, they kind of juxtapose each other. But sometimes in adventure mode, I just like to just run around on my own for a bit and act in you know, yeah. in point one, whereas three of you are over there fighting a, another thing. It's, it's strangely freeing in a in a game that's so condensed, it kind of boils Diablo three down into its basics. Like it and kind of like gives you the rawest form of the Diablo three, like just go fight. And, but then also at the same time, yeah, it could be as open as you like that. Like you could just choose any part of the world and go, right, I'm going over there. Bye. It gives you that sort of option where you could be sat there and you think, well, I've got 10 minutes. I can play a game and you can go into Diablo three and do, two things easy in that time in adventure (laughs) mode or you could think i don't really know what to play for a couple of hours and you'll just switch off play this and as you say listen to a podcast put the tv on in the background anything like that and it is the perfect mode for this it's also all the things that made the likes of diablo and diablo 2 look really intimidating Mm. more so diablo 2 uh really sort of intimidating to someone like me but because i've built my character up through the campaign, which is, as I said, more like a lengthened tutorial. And now I understand exactly what my character can do. I can hit adventure mode and be very immediate with my actions in 
going for loot and upgrades and that sort of thing or jumping in with friends and and know that the story doesn't really so much matter anymore and it's absolutely perfect for that sort of quick access gameplay uh, Caesar mode has also um, come onto consoles with the uh, latest patch and it's been on PC for 10 seasons now I've done one season and I never really saw the appeal myself. Like I like the idea of being the best at the game with the ladder performances and mm. you know, you get ranked at the end and well done, you did all this stuff. But for me, replaying for all that stuff and it doesn't I, I when I make a game when I play a game like this, I like to make a character and kind of stick to that one character and build on that and that and keep improving that my barbaria, for example. So to make a new character, it's not really my my bag, man. But yeah. I can, <laughs> yeah. I, I can pr- completely appreciate this kind of race to the end to be the best, and you know, it kind of adds a weird competitive element without directly being competitive. It's not something that overly appeals to me, but looking at it as something because seasons are in Overwatch, another Blizzard game, and I do see the appeal in there because something like an FPS is more of a primary genre for me to play than an action RPG is. But for those that are really into action RPGs, perhaps the appeal for a season is there and not in something like Overwatch. So for someone who sees this as their primary genre, the ability to rank up and play seasons over and over gives them another reason on top of everything yeah. else to play mm. the game. And I could see that being incredibly appealing for that those people. Yeah, yeah, I agree. It's it's It doesn't appeal to me, but... As you were saying with Overwatch, like I'm, it makes more sense to me there, just because that's just a, by itself, it's a very competitive game. So it makes more sense yeah. that the seasons would be in something like that. In each of the acts, you have like a main camp where you can do all your bits and your bobs, and you can maintain your character uh, with gems that you alert you you earn from um from just playing the game. You pick up some gems, as of course you do. But there's also, there's um but in your base camp, there's a, a kind of a, a jeweler. I suspect is the name or uh, the word I want to use here, and you can. You can buy better recipes to create better gems, and you can socket them into your into your armor sets. Um, you've also got um, transmogrifications via the mystic, so you can kind of enchant and change the look of your weapons and items. Which I've never, again, I've never really got into. I've, I've never really found something that looks so good that I want that one thing to always look like that. You know what I mean? I don't really understand that myself, but it's good that the options are there for people who like to twink out their characters is that the right phrase that's definitely a thing for for people who like um any kind of rpg like the fashion part of it is really important but like for me with diablo 3 like you're never really super up close with it unless you're looking at a menu screen so Mm. you know it it didn't really appeal to me that much but it's cool it's there for people who get really into the fashion part of rpgs i think the pc version has an option i don't know if the console does where when you're in your inventory, the camera zooms into almost a ground level and mm. it gives you kind of a, yeah, a, a better view of your character other than the front end main mm-hmm. menu. Yeah, yeah, there's a little um, bit of a, you, you can get, when you hit the start menu, it, can, it pops up on the left, but it's not like intensely close, you know, but whatever, it's, it's so cool that it's there. Uh, there's a character or an NPC called a Cadilla. When you do these rifts and greater rifts, you pick up blood shards you can also get these from a blood shard goblin i don't know if that's the official name but when you see a goblin that spits out blood shards that little bugger is gonna get the life kicked out of him even faster than any of them because this is kind of like a gambling npc where you walk up to cadillac and you're like oh i have 75 of my blood shards and it's a random item whatever you choose is going to be randomly pinged back into your inventory and it's another thing to do and you know they don't have to put these things in but there's so many different areas to focus on that like Carl said if you've only got 10 minutes you can almost 
certainly do something worthwhile, worthwhile to your character in those 10 minutes. And, uh, you know, even if it is just redeeming a few blood shard points. You've then got your stash, which you can transfer items between all your characters if you're into, you know, alting. And I logged in today, actually, on the PC version, and they've added a new kind of wardrobe covered space next to the stash in which you can um, have, you can store sets of gear in here. So rather than having them in your stash, taking up room, you can store them in this armory. And crafting mats now have their own unique storage space as well. So they're, yeah, they're slowly adding more, more room for your more. stuff. Yeah. Hardcore mode is something I never really dabbled with, and I know you two have. Mm. So let me know uh, what. <laughs> well, it's just a, it's a permadeath mode, basically, right? Like it's just. I know. I, I didn't finish the entire uh, playthrough, but I got halfway through, and this, uh, especially if you play it on like normal, which is embarrassingly what I did. Uh, <laughs> like you have to be the worst Diablo player to die in this game on normal. Mm. So like, you know, it's, it's, I'm just getting, I'm playing through it for the trophy. If I'm totally honest, yeah, well, yeah. Um, but not? it's not why I'm here to like, to, to like, to like a permadeath mode would be kind of infuriating in a, in a, in a RPG where you're playing like hundreds of hours and then you lose your progress. I don't know. Yeah, like, I, don't, yeah. I don't know how I'd handle that. It's a neat little challenge, I guess, but I would probably lose my mind if something like that happens. It's a lot friendlier than, say, something like Max Payne 3's right, um, yeah. achievement, yeah. which is is one I actually did do and got to the end of that game and died, only to <laughs> have to do the whole game yeah. again. Um, and but that's like a 15-hour... Dead Space 2. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, exactly. I mean, and, and, and this is considerably longer. Yeah. But the, something like we mentioned the lasers are another thing that even on normal can absolutely shred you. So it keeps you on your toes to some degree. So it's you can't switch off like you can when you normally play this game, um, which in my opinion, seems it seems a really strange thing to say, but it's probably the best way to play this game, at least for me, is to switch off oh, yeah, and sort yeah. of play it in autopilot mode. Um, but when you're playing it in hardcore mode, you're always aware that if you just do one thing really, really stupid, it's all for naught and you've got to start again and it was just an interesting way to play the game and it's just one more thing like you said it's, it's not overly difficult yeah it's just another thing on top of everything else that this game has and i, I wouldn't let it sort of put anyone off playing it I, i'd arguably recommend at least doing one of your characters on hardcore mode i imagine it adds a kind of a well yeah like a roguelike element to yeah, it i guess sure. in that you know you have to go back to the start but yeah it's just usually a roguelike is you know, an hour long run. Whereas here, yeah. if I lost twenty hours worth of playtime, it'd make me as angry Question as your a own life. Yeah. Buggy <laughs> end game. Um, <laughs> yeah, indeed. Um, so yeah, hardcore mode. It is what it is. Uh, when you die, you die. Said uh, Arnold Schwarzenegger in that film. <laughs> Something like that. Anyway, Diablo three had a special event in January called the Darkening of Tristram, and uh, yeah, it basically brought the Diablo one experience to Diablo three. And we played through this, didn't we, Carl? Yes. Yeah. Yeah, we did. And I thought, you know, the, the retro visual filter over the top kind of wore thin within, you know, five minutes for me. But <laughs> yeah. the fact that beforehand they said, oh, we're, we're going to make it eight-way controlled, like the original game, <laughs> I was like, oh, this is going to be awful. Mm. But it actually played a lot better than what I thought it would. It was great. Yeah, I really quite liked the eight-way controls. It felt really fresh. Yeah, it was a decent way of doing it. They could have made it a lot clunkier than it actually was. I don't think they held back the animations of, you know, like the teleport or the, or the other moves that the traversal moves that the characters have because of the eight-way controls. I didn't get to play it. So was it 
literally like the entire campaign of Diablo 1 in Diablo 3 or was it just like a cute little one-off mission kind of thing? The way I interpret it is that it was the floors 1 to 16 or 1 to 12 of mm. Diablo 1. Okay. Obviously not. It was sped up because you could finish it in 40 minutes or so. We, like, sure, it was, sorry, we, yeah. we absolutely blitzed through it. Yeah. And you didn't have to start a new character either. So you could bring okay, your okay, yeah. already leveled character in. Um, and we actually brought a third person in with us mm. who was playing it for the first time. And it was in a strange way, their first double of Diablo 3 <laughs> was in Diablo <laughs> 1. <crazy>. Yeah. <laughs> um, but it felt really good. It, it was kind of strange. And all the things that put me off playing Diablo 1 back in 1996 they weren't there. It didn't feel intimidating because I felt like I, by that point I knew my character or I had some gauge on what my character was doing. Mm-hmm. Um, and you realize that as daunting as Diablo 1 was then, Diablo 3 has far more stuff in it. And if I can get a grip on that, then the other stuff doesn't really matter. So it was something that we could sort of have a chat about, experience. And the fact that it was free was fantastic. Yeah, that's awesome. Because They've put a whole game into Diablo 3 for free. It's pretty cool. Mm. It's got the um, original FMV in there as well. So when you beat the end boss, <laughs> spoiler, Diablo, oh, the, the, the FMV, talk, we were talking about how good it looks. Um, yeah, D1's <laughs> FMV is yeah, just yeah. awful because it's of that time. And, and, they've, and, the, and they've uprested it as well. Yeah. So it was <laughs> oh, really God. stretched out. <laughs> and yeah, you see him pushing that gem into his forehead as we mentioned earlier in the story and it's just like oh man yeah it was it was awful to look at but in a very <laughs> charming you know nostalgic way I, I don't even have any nostalgia for the first game but looking at that style of fmv from the 90s i was like oh yeah fmv used to look like that and we used to think that was the <laughs> that future was the of how graphics <laughs> were gonna be yeah i can imagine a lot of long-time fans of diablo and those that hadn't played it in over a decade I, I can imagine it brought a real smile to their face. Yeah, I'm sad I didn't get to check it out myself. Yeah, apparently they're going to rotate it every, you know, they're going to bring it in every January because that's like the anniversary of D1, I think. So maybe if you wait another eight months, you can play it again. <laughs> and speaking of bringing stuff back from older games, they're bringing back the Necromancer with the DLC pack called Rise of the Necromancer. Mancer. It seems weird that they're adding a class so late into D3's life, especially when, you know, based on community feedback from earlier, D3 seems to be on the way out in favour of Diablo 4. So in my head, maybe this is the start of maybe some cross-pollination of like, you bought a Necromancer from this thing, maybe you can plug it into 4 now, you know? Yeah, yeah. It seems like an odd move, but again, nothing surprises me with Blizzard when they support mm. their games. You know. I can imagine the next Diablo being more of a hub for things to be plugged into mm. and the next one could be called, they could arguably simply just call it Diablo again mm, and then no. consistently plug things into it and what would be a follow-up would eventually go like the World of Warcraft mm. thing where you put Cataclysm into it, etc. that kind of thing. Um, I, I, and the way that they're bringing the DLC onto this, it sort of lends itself to that. Um, that that we could just have consistent updates. And I think another part of bringing DLC to this game so late was that um, when they did BlizzCon this year, it felt like every game got some content. Mm. Like every every game had attention drawn to it. Um, So to bring something to Diablo 3 was sort of like a nod to the community that had stuck through it, which was, again, kind of nice. It feels like Blizzard are actually one of the few community-driven companies. I mean, I would have said the same thing about Bungie, but that, that's that gone now. Um, so to see 
someone like Blizzard still engage so strongly and listen to the community mm-hmm. and seemingly just deliver stuff like again adding Diablo in for free is pretty great uh, bringing the Necromancer back which will be paid DLC is something that almost makes me want to buy it outright the fact yeah, that they've given me so, so much, much free for stuff. free already if I have to buy some DLC I've not got a problem with that so I'll probably pick up that character as well yeah. and who doesn't love raising stuff from the dead <laughs> well else. exactly one of my favourite pastimes <laughs> that's a good, good, good Friday night isn't it <laughs> <laughs> so um um last but not least uh the music and sound effects from the game they're kind of there they do the job i've got a real affection for the tristram uh overworld kind of main camp music that seems to be it was the song that was played at the, at the reveal for d3 in 2008 so there's the affection for that kind of i don't it's a guitar noise but i couldn't tell you what guitar it reminds me of starcraft 2 in a way those noises happen and the nostalgia mm-hmm. washes over and you're like, oh, yeah. Um, That's the only real music that uh, sticks out in my mind is, as you said, the overall music. But I do, I got to give them props for the general sound effects for when you level up or when a legendary drops. Mm. Like, it's just, yeah. they, they have really satisfying, it's the whole gameplay loop is, is all you know, you're mashing against these enemies and it, it's it's careful not to be super repetitive to where like when you knock someone out you know it's just it's all very satisfying and and especially when you level up and like the screen like like <laughs> this giant flash of light hits the center of the screen and it's just loud like kind of noise you know it's just yeah. it's all it's just really satisfying to to do and i don't think it would be exactly the same if it wasn't for those specific sound effects that they threw in there our last final piece of uh, feedback from the forum is from Telepri. I got Diablo 3 for my birthday of uh, 2014 on the PS4 and it was probably among the first five retail games I owned for the system. This was my first entry in the series, though I've played a few other loot-heavy games such as Borderlands and Dungeon Defenders. My main interest in asking for the game was that in the four-player local co-op that it offered. For me, Diablo is still definitely a social game, something fun and mindless to play while hanging out with friends. I had and still have no interest in playing the game either by myself or with strangers. I find that the loot really drives the game. There's a special and perhaps slightly sad excitement that comes from watching numbers slowly go up. I especially loved any loot that made my horde of Witch Doctor's minions grow. While I've dabbled in all of the classes, my Witch Doctor, Uga, is the only one who has completed the game and slain the dreaded Diablo. I made decent progress with my Crusader, Bob McDude, but the friend I play with is only around every few months, so we're currently around Act 3. I'm sure Diablo 3 has a perfectly fine fantasy story, but unless it is one of the beautiful cutscenes, we rarely pay any attention to it. Preferring to craft our own stories that we are actually the bad guys, because what decent person can justify killing <laughs> thousands of creatures that are just minding their own business out in the wilderness? As I've only completed the game with one character, I can't say much about the post-game content. It's still exciting to find loot. Always excited to check out what dyes and transmogrifications the shops have for us. It's a cute note about the monsters in the wilderness. It, there are, most of the time, you're walking up and they're just kind of chilling. Like, they're just yeah. hanging out and you're like, what's up? Boom! Like, knock them all. Yeah. They're not hurting anyone. They're just there. <laughs> yeah. they're, they're, yeah. they're, they've just been plonked in the world. They're not yeah. doing much. They're not, you know, defecating on anything. Right. Or, yeah. And then you just come along and go, right, and here comes my cooldown set of moves <laughs> and now you're all dead. I think it would be one of those interesting turns where either for a special event or maybe even in the next one you did play as the villain um, or as a series of villains and turn it that you're actually fighting for hell against heaven. I think that would that would be something that would 
certainly at the very least interest me um <laughs> because I, I, I just I, sometimes it's nice when something just flips the script on yeah. you and it's unexpected so we have some uh, three word reviews uh, which you can send to us at uh, at Kane and Rince on twitter.com we put the call out just before recording uh, yeah on the same day so just keep an eye out for it Spencer Saunders numbers loot toads Freelance Police said return to Tristram Mr. Church says ooh so shiny a King Rocker Set bonus synergy. Rob Hudak said, Entertaining loot treadmill. The Tiege says, Devilish kleptomaniac loot fest. Sam Hamich says, Eventually gets old. Just takes, usually just takes about the 20 years. Sean Xavier Lichero said, Best played co-op. My pet Roxy said, Cacophonous mouse clicks. And Pete Turner says, Best loot treadmill. Tell us, Sean. Mm. why you like or dislike Diablo 3. <laughs> it's it's hard to say why I like Diablo 3 because when I think about why I like it, it's just because I really enjoy the constant loop of of reward, I guess, which is, is something that, you know, I play all these types of games like Dark Souls or, or stuff where it's just you're, you're constantly beaten down all the time. And... um it's nice to play a game that's just always saying, oh, you're doing a good job, you're doing a good job, you're doing great, here's some rewards, here's some loot, here's a nice new armor set, here's a nice new hat, <laughs> you know, which means nothing. It's just a higher mm. number of a thing that makes me better at the thing. But man, is it an addicting uh, loop and, and, and hardly anybody nails it like Blizzard does. You know, I, the closest for me would be something like Borderlands, and and even then, I think that's that something like that is a little, there's just just not as um, entrancing as you know. You know, I'll be playing Diablo three all night to where like I, I'm I'll be falling asleep and not out of boredom, but just like I'm just doing this loop over and over again, and it's almost kind of mm. creepy to think about like how I, you know you can just sit there and not really be entirely engaged in something, but still enjoying it. It's really weird. I would recommend pretty much anybody give Diablo 3 a shot. There's, as we've said in this podcast, like, I wouldn't say we've barely talked about how how we've enjoyed actually playing it, but there's just so much stuff about the game to discuss or to experience and find out for yourself. And, and just, there's so much content for, you know, even 60 bucks at this point. Like, I don't know how much it costs now. I'm sure it's cheaper than that now, but... Mm. Even if it, you know, whatever, it's just, there's a whole bunch of content in this game and you're bound to like something in there. And um, yeah, I, I, I really like Diablo 3 a lot, despite it being confusing as to why. <laughs> Mr. Moon. I would absolutely recommend people play it. Um, I would struggle to believe that there are people who play games that couldn't get their head around how you play this. Mm. And it's also a great introductory game for other people. Um, to bring in the fact that you can do it locally is obviously becoming more and more rare, it seems. So if you could sit there next to your partner or a good friend and just um, play on the couch, playing on the TV and having a chat and um, with its simplicity, it's great. The ability to just switch off, go into autopilot is something that might not sound that appealing, but it's something that I do really enjoy in games. It's one of the main reasons why I would play racing games mm. and mm -hmm. listen to podcasts at the same time because you go into that sort of zen state where you can do some of your best thinking and you're sort of relaxing but you're still playing a game and this suits that down to a T. And then further on that, you've got the end game where if you wanted to look into it, the ability to get your armor set, certain pieces, 
um, that offer unique skill sets and abilities, uh, the ability to transmogrify to make your character look completely badass and then dies so that you can get it to, you know, look really cool um, with with a colour scheme um, is all in there that didn't need to be. These are the kinds of things that I really appreciate over something like Borderlands. And I mean, I have a friend who has put an insane amount of time into Borderlands. I mean, you're talking nearly a thousand hours and he still plays it consistently. And I, I don't understand the appeal in that game to that depth and I enjoy it, but I could kind of understand someone doing it in Diablo. And even though it's not, as I keep saying, the kind of genre that I would play a lot of games on. Um, and the ability to do that is huge because you always go in that it, it's got that level of immediacy in the end game, which should not be underestimated because there is so much content there. And to not go in and to go in and not know what the level's going to look like, to not know what enemies you're going to draw against, or best of all, to not have a clue what kind of drops you're going to get. And this is a game that isn't harsh, like something like Galahorn in. Uh, year one of destiny for example (laughs) where you can't do anything unless you get that one drop and it is super rare kind of thing this has so many different drops that can change the gameplay style and it's very generous with at least it's very generous post reaper of souls as we're saying um it is a huge boon to this game and seeing them bring in the return to tristram um dlc in january and now a necromancer coming across shows that this game isn't quite dead yet. And for the number of people that bought this game, I mean, this this is a game that, that sold, uh, I believe, that uh, it sold 6.6 million copies in 48 hours, which is what their annual expectation was. <laughs> um, so it's it's nice to know that the fact that it's blown away their expectations at launch, and even though this was all this time ago, they still haven't forgotten about it, especially given how big... Um, Heroes of the Storm has become and uh, the the fact that Overwatch is a juggernaut beyond all juggernauts um, for money making um, there's a lot of charm to be had in Diablo 3 and, and it going back into it it's not hard to see why they would appease that community because this is a very charming game that people really should play and it's $60 is a bargain the fact you can get it a lot less than that in a sale means that you really should be snapping it up in my opinion yeah, uh, if you're on if you're on a console of PS4 or Xbox One flavor, I like to look at recommendations based on what else is on the market. So Sunset Sunset Overdrive, I recommended it because there's nothing else like it. And from I I think this is the only game of its type on console. So if you want a game like this, really like isometric hack and slash based uh, action RPG, I don't think you're going to find another game. So. Based on that alone, I recommend it, but it plays really well. It's a Blizzard game, so it looks and smells really nice. And, you know, you, you're going to get a decent experience um, with the Reaper of Souls expansion. You know, I'm so glad that they took all criticism on board and realised that the vanilla D3 was um, was broken and unbalanced and basically just, you know, like a poor drop. It was junk. <laughs> anyway, yeah. Um, so, you know, it's got... It's got tons of content, more than we could ever discuss in a two-hour podcast. And it, you know, it. I always play D3 on PC and occasionally on consoles, even if it's just like once a month. Just turn it on, have a run around, you know, stab some stuff, and then just disappear again. It's fine that I'm not constantly in the community for 
you know, the the next season, the next loot grab and stuff like that. But sometimes it's just nice to go in there and remind yourself of how badass your character can be by, you know, doing the, the moveset that we spoke about earlier. I hope they make another Diablo and, you know, I'm sure they will. And if you don't get on with Diablo 3, um, there are so many different options for you on PC, which is probably why I won't give it a 100% recommendation on PC because this, this genre is starting to break out into different moulds of what this genre could be so you know I, I couldn't tell you exactly why Path of Exile is you know is different to Diablo for Diablo 3 but I'm sure someone will and if you have an affection for how they used to be or how they are now just, just do a little google search and go which one's the best for me and I'm sure you'll find it as a game Diablo 3 is is up there with one of my favorites I'll always look forward to what Blizzard have got coming next Thank you very much, uh, Sean and Kyle, for adventuring with me through this two-hour podcast of Diablo-isms. I'm struggling here. And uh, next up on Kane and Rinse, issue 266, we have... Oh, the the not-so-challenging Ninja Gaiden. Have fun with that. Thanks for listening. Goodbye. In a way, I was really glad that you uh, you dropped off then because I was busting for a piss.